I talked about our word and our integrity and really caring about things that didn't seem important. Uh, and that's what I told the team, that champions understand that everything you do is important, that everything has a correlation to something else and we can't just pick out what we want to work hard at and not work at the other things. And I said, until we get this straightened out, uh, we're never going to win. Welcome back to the Quiet Strength Radio Special, presented by Tyndale House Publishers and based on the new book, Quiet Strength, The Principles, Practices, and Priorities of a Winning Life, with Tony Dungy, coach of the world champion Indianapolis Colts. Here once again is Chris Fabry, talking with coach Tony Dungy, as they discuss Tony's opinion on instant replay. Well, let's talk about that. You are not a fan of instant replay. And I have seen you many times, as a matter of fact, Looking up on the Jumbotron is the picture that's on the book, I think. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you're probably looking at a replay, should I throw should this Should I flag? throw my flag or not? Yes. There was one game where you didn't throw a flag, and the announcers were saying, oh, why didn't he yeah. throw the flag? And that's my pet peeve. It was Al Michaels and John Madden, the Monday Night Crew, and they, they have six monitors in front of them, and they can see all the different angles, and they say, oh, this doesn't look like a catch. He should challenge that. Well, I'm waiting to see what they see, now the next play is going, I've got to make a decision without that information, and then you decide yes or no, and you get second guess. But for the most part, I believe that it, what happens on the field uh, should be on the field, the officials should call it, and we should move on, and um, it's just a belief of mine. What happens when you call an official over and say, Jimmy, Jimmy, come here, Tom, Tom, come here, come here, come here? What are you saying at that point? Usually at that point, what I'm trying to do is find out why they made a particular call or discussing a rule or telling them that I didn't think their interpretation of what happened on the field matched mine. But I always end up with saying, you know what, we'll find out tomorrow. When we watch the tape, we'll see, because I know they can't be perfect, uh, just as I'm not perfect. And there's a plenty of calls that I make that, you know, they could come over and say, hey, coach, I don't think you should have run that play, you know, if I were you. So I think that's what you have to understand. But uh, it's been a practice of mine not to try to berate those guys, not to, unless it's a rule that we're debating. If it's judgment, hey, that happens and we've got to move on. And you can do that as a gentleman. You don't have to throw, lace it with profanity. Would you mind having the shotgun mic in that conversation at that point? I wouldn't mind at all because it's something that I just have trained myself not to do. I, I don't use disrespective language uh, to those guys and I think I can get my points across just as well. They know when I'm upset at a call, I can say, you know what, that call really upset me because I don't think you're right. Your kids, your kids could listen to that. They could. Take us back to, uh, there was one point where you were really upset at a couple of players. I think this was in Florida, in Tampa Bay. And it was one time when you said you did, you lost your temper, you blew up at it. Yeah, I usually don't yell in meetings. I usually don't raise my voice. I usually try to be instructive and teach. And uh, we were going through a tough time in Tampa. It was my first year. Uh, we'd won one game and lost eight and we're making just little mistakes that were costing us games. And throughout it all, I was still in that instructive mode like my dad, trying to teach. And we came up to week 10, we we're getting ready to play the Oakland Raiders. And just before I went into our first team meeting of the week, I opened a letter, it was from a, a fourth grade teacher. And she said that one of our players had missed an appearance. He was coming to their school and talked to the kids. 
And as a matter of fact, the kids were really looking forward to it because he was supposed to be there two weeks earlier and he missed that one too. And she talked about how disappointed the kids were and if there was something we could do. And I, I just, as I was walking to the team meeting, I was so upset. And that was the only time I can really remember just blowing up at the team and talking about what we needed to do, not to win, but just to get the right attitude in our locker room. You can still feel it. I can, I can tell. still feel it. And uh, one of the few times that, that I ever really lost my composure in front of it, still didn't use any bad language, but uh, I was really just so disappointed with that. We had another player the same week who was late for something. I talked about our word and our integrity and really caring about things that didn't seem important. Uh, and that's what I told the team, that champions understand that everything you do is important, that everything has a correlation to something else and we can't just pick out what we want to work hard at and not work at the other things. And I said, until we get this straightened out, uh, we're never going to win. And I, I think that had an impact on, on some of our guys. As a matter of fact, after you left, there was a story in the book about the team, John Gruden, who came in after you, ending a meeting and all the guys kind of pausing and looking at each other because you'd always prayed after that, right? Yes, it's the pregame routine. You always come in after the warm-ups. You have a couple of minutes to say your final things to the team. Uh, you tell them what's going to happen. Then you go out for the introductions. And that's when we'd always had our team prayer for six years. And when it happened after I left, a couple of the guys said, you know, we've never gone on the field since I've been here. These are players, you know, uh, without saying a prayer, and we need to do that. And that was pretty touching to know mm -hmm. that guys would uh, just respond that way. What do you say to the people, or what did you say to the people who said, yeah, but Dungy can't win the big one. He doesn't have what it takes to win, the, you know, get to the top. That's tough criticism because you really don't believe it, but you know that that's the, the word on the street. That's what people think. And uh, you always feel like I'll get an opportunity to show them that that's unfair criticism, but there's really nothing you can say to refute that. So you decide and you say, do I really need to change? Is there something to it? And after examining it, I say, no, there's no situation that I would do differently. There's nothing I want to change in our approach we just have to go get the job done and win. That was the only thing that, that I could do, is just continue to move forward and, and hopefully get that chance to prove them wrong. On whatever scale you want to use, how important was it that you and Lovey Smith, two African-American coaches, were there in the Super Bowl for the very first time? Being there together, it was a monumental. We'd been had 40 Super Bowls before, no African-American coaches. I can remember my first year as a player, there were only seven African-American coaches total in the whole league. No head coaches, only seven assistants. So we had come a long ways, but being there at that Super Bowl, I knew it was going to be a proud moment for black America. But it was a, a moment that was special to share it with Lovey because not only was he an African-American coach uh, like myself and we're representing that segment, but I knew Lovey I knew what he thought, his beliefs, the way he coached, and they were so similar to mine that we're able to say, you know, you can get to the pinnacle, even overcoming the obstacles of race. You can get to the pinnacle doing things the right way, of treating people with respect, 
of not using profanity, of not being the prototypical coach, and you can still be successful, I think that would be a great lesson for our country. And I was very, very proud to be there with him. And that is such an empowering message, not just to African Americans, but to everybody. You don't have to be defined by your losses. You don't have to let that become your life because you can overcome that. You can, and I think that was the message of that day of February 4th, 2007, that you don't have to be defined by anything. There was a time when we weren't allowed to play. African Americans weren't allowed to play in the NFL when there were no African American coaches. And uh, here was two guys who really didn't have those role models. There was no head coach who had done that before that we were able to say, you know, hey, we want to be like this person. But we're still able to get there because of our faith in the Lord and following where he was taking us. I know you don't like instant replay, but I'm going to give you a chance to use it. If you could go back and replay one scene from your life that you feel like you got wrong or that you didn't do as well as you'd like to, what would it be? Oh, there are a lot of them, uh, a lot of mistakes that you make that you just have to go back and uh, say I'm sorry about. But the biggest thing for me that I would change if I could was my college experience. I had a great time, wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Uh, got a great degree from the University of Minnesota, played football and basketball, made some lifelong friends. But the thing I didn't do during that period of time was really grow spiritually the way I could have from leaving my parents and really just being zeroed in on graduating, on getting my degree and playing, I didn't focus on what the Lord would want me to do. And uh, as I go now and speak to different groups, I speak to FCA groups in college all the time. And when I see some of these young people at 17, 18, 19, 20, and just how they're fellowshipping with each other and growing as Christians, I wish I'd have done that when I was in my college years. Okay, one tough question from the cynic who's listening right now or who sees your, your book in the bookstore and says, yeah, he can talk about his faith because he's on the top, you know? Well, why didn't he write this after he was fired from Tampa Bay? Because this was a book that you did not want to write for many, many years. No, that's a good question. And I always said I wasn't going to be one of those guys who won and then wrote a book and said, this is how you should do it. I never really wanted to write one, but I think there are some lessons to learn. And the lessons in my life is, yeah, I had one victory, but I had a lot of losses, a lot of what the world would call defeats. And in between the 1978 Super Bowl and 2007, there's a lot of years of things that didn't go perfectly. But I was able to learn from them and grow from them and had some of the biggest impact that I had on people I worked with were not in the years that we won, but in, in the years that we didn't win. And that's really why I wrote the book. It strikes me that your parents would be really proud of you right now if they could be here. And they raised four kids who were service-oriented, who help other people, who coach other people, and who try to lift them up with their lives. So on behalf of our listeners who can't call in <laughs> and thank you, thank you for your integrity and uh, for what you've shown us and for what a great example that you've been. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I think you gave credit to the right people. My parents did a tremendous job of bringing us up and pointing us towards the Lord. And uh, hopefully I can do that with my kids. On January 21st, 2007, 
After trailing 21-3, the Colts came back to defeat the New England Patriots to become AFC champions and advance to Super Bowl 41. It was the largest comeback in NFL conference title game history. In the closing pages of his new book, Quiet Strength, Tony remarks, I love coaching football, and winning a Super Bowl was a goal I've had for a long time. But it has never been my purpose in life. My purpose is simply to glorify God. I coach football, but the good I can do to glorify God along the way is my real purpose. I want to help people to see the path to eternal life through Christ, to enjoy an abundant life now, and to fulfill their God-given purposes here. We are all role models to someone in this world, and we can all have an impact for good. You've been listening to the Quiet Strength Radio Special, presented by Tyndale House Publishers and based on the new book by Tony Dungy called Quiet Strength, The Principles, Practices, and Priorities of a Winning Life. To read a sample chapter, visit Tyndale.com. Thanks for listening.